Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by White Famous. White Famous is a new Showtime original comedy about trying to make it in Hollywood, starring SNL vet Jay Farrow as Floyd Mooney, a comedian whose career is about to blow up, but he's not sure if he's ready for all that. Can he make it without losing his soul? White Famous is executive produced by Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx and the creator of Californication, Tom Kapanos. The show is based on Jamie Foxx's real-life experiences and also stars Michael Rappaport and Jacob Ming-Trent. The two-episode series premiere is this Sunday, October 15th at 10 p.m. only on Showtime, and you can also watch the hilarious season premiere right now for free on YouTube. Download the Showtime app now to start your free trial. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. And today I'm all by myself, but not really. Greenwald's away, but we have a couple of people on the podcast today. The first guest you're going to hear is a real fun interview I did with one of my favorite comedic actors, Rob Hubel. Now, I've been watching Rob Hubel since the Human Giant days back in the mid-2000s, but since then he's pretty much been in everything. I, and I'm not kidding. Like Name a show he's probably been on it. Parks and Recreation, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Mindy Project, Archer, Bob's Burgers, comedy bang bang drunk history fresh off the boat he is literally just like the zealot of television the league you know everything he's been then he's also done movies he's been in keanu he's been in baywatch he's been in the house this guy is just always consistently delivering you probably know him best recently as len on transparent we talked about pretty much everything you can talk about from what it's like right now to be a working comedic actor in hollywood and the shift away from movies to television and the shift from television to these strange digital spaces. Rob's got a new show coming out called Do You Want to See a Dead Body, which is premiering in November, on November 15th on YouTube Red. Uh, but you you don't have to look very hard to find him. He is all over the place. You can see him, you know, uh, Children's Hospital, obviously, for the last few years. Uh, so really fun interview with him. And then after that, I talked to Joe Casey from uh, one of my favorite current bands, Proto Martyr. They have a new album that came out last Friday called Relatives in Descent. And we talked to him. He was outside of a, a, a venue in New York, I think. Uh, he called us up. And we just talked a little bit about um, his really, really, really good band. Uh, Proto Martyr's been around for a few years. I believe this is their third or fourth album. Um, it's one of their best. It's, it's like much cleaner and bigger sounding. If you're not familiar with their work, they kind of sound like a mix of, um, and this is going to sound really like basic, but it, they sound like a, a kind of, if you like Joy Division, if you like Sonic Youth, if you like The Fall, if you like post-punk like that, you would definitely like this band. And the thing that Joe brings to it is this really, really unique, enigmatic, literate, moody f- vocal style. And you don't really often get a lot of bands with just like the vocalist. It's usually a guy playing guitar and singing. So I, I talked to him a little bit about what it was like to be a, just a vocalist in a band, what it's like to shape songs, what it's like, what what role he plays in the production and writing. So two cool interviews today. Andy will be back uh, next week, I believe. Uh, might have not, maybe not for Monday, but I think he'll be back obviously for Thursday. We're going to be talking about Blade Runner 2049 next Thursday, but we'll have something for you on Monday. But today, Rob Hubel, his new show, Do You Want to See a Dead Body, is on YouTube Red in November. And Joe Casey from the band Proto Martyr, their new album, Relatives in Descent, is already out. Get that wherever you get your music. Let's go. 
We're here with Rob Hubel. I'm really excited about this because I didn't before I even knew you were coming on. I had actually been thinking about this this one moment uh, from your career that it was very meaningful to me in a very strange way. And I went back and watched it on YouTube. It is the Human Giant MTV Takeover, yeah. twenty four hour takeover. Yeah, right? ten was, years mm-hmm. ago. So you know we're gonna be spending a lot of time here in the studio. Whoa, and, whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa. Of, oh. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Who are you guys? Yeah, human uh, giant. We're where's uh, our telephone? I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Where's Sway? Loader? Those guys? Uh, well, actually, we're, we're taking over MTV for 24 This is MTV, hours. you know that? Yeah. 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 Sway's yeah. not here. We're screwing around we're here. Not, right? We have this a, show. a studio, a professional studio. We have a show on the channel we're called Human Giant. We're showing our show for 24 hours, having a lot of cool guest bands. It's going to be really fun. I didn't and get And that was in between the, the two who, seasons who you, you did of Human Giant with Paul yeah. Shearer and Aziz. Yeah. And looking back on that, because that was at this very nascent point in like uh watching comedy online like i remember i was like working at i think i was still working at kim's i was working at kim's in in this in new york city oh in the east village yeah i used to rent porn there (laughs) (laughs) i really did i would go in and i would act like you know like before this kind of before the internet i guess and uh uh yeah i would just like wander around and be like oh i guess i'll go in this back room yeah that was a sketchy back room (laughs) so sketchy yeah it was like right next to the kind of person rents porn i don't know man i think they had a pretty pretty strict policy about like returns there too Uh, it's like calling me on the phone where's our porn (laughs) dvds they uh but i remember watching that i remember watching like um a video you did with aziz where you guys were just like reading internet comments yeah and there was like there was like you know college humor was kind of first starting up yeah, around then. Yeah, it was all kind of happening around the same time. Do yeah. you have fond memories of that time? Was it for sure? Yeah, and for sure also, um, I am very much aware that um, a lot of the things that have happened to me are because I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you know, like like that's a great example of um, you know we were making uh, me Paul Shear Aziz. Uh, we were making these videos with our director, Jason Walliner, yeah. and uh, just to show at UCB shows. We were just showing them at live shows and, and you know, just for fun. And um, at that time, YouTube was just kind of, I think the internet was just kind of blowing up. I think maybe, I, I, my memory's bad, but I think like um, like the Lonely Island guys had just mm-hmm. done like Dick in a Box, and or, or maybe not Dick, but but they were, they were doing videos and... Um, so things were just starting to kind of blow up online and people were like r- really looking for content. And MTV was, of course, sniffing around um, UCB theater because there were a lot of really funny people there. And so we just happened to be in the right place at the right time. They saw some of the sketches that we did and they said, do you guys want to do a pilot? I think at the time I was like 36 yeah. to do a fucking <laughs> MTV show. <laughs> like I am not their demo, you know. So uh, but, you know, we just we just kind of laughed the whole time because we were like let's just do this let's make funny videos someone else is paying for it there's no reason not to do this you know and um the really cool arrangement that we had was um the guy that ran mtv at the time was this really cool guy named tony DeSanto, and he was a big comedy fan Mm -hmm. and he didn't have any other comedy on the channel at that time not 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 a lot i don't think and um so he put us on i think specifically just because uh, part of the deal was that we had to go every week and meet him in his office and pitch him all of the sketches we were going to shoot. And so that was like an hour of like fun. Like he got know, a kick out of he it. He got a fucking kick out of it. And yeah. I think that's the only reason we got to do the show. I really do. Like 
um, you know, he just thought that was really funny. And I think he was like, he kind of saw us as like a throwback to the old MTV where you could kind of do whatever you want. That's just, exactly what I was going to yeah, say is that just, I'm nostalgic for you guys doing that. But yeah. at the time, I think I was nostalgic. I was like, this is kind of an extension where you'd be like <laughs> on the ninth play of an Aerosmith video. Then yeah. all of a sudden, like Dennis Leary is standing in front of a burned out car talking about Christy Turlington or something like yeah. It was kind of, it was just a, a really um, exciting time for us. And for, and, and, and as you said, like, uh, I always thought MTV was cool back when they would do crazy shit, yeah. you know? And so that 24 hour marathon was a really ill-advised programming <laughs> stunt, you know, but, but that was though I think the way they set it up, Sheer has a better memory than me, but, uh, I think the whole thing was that if we got, um, a certain number of people um, watching, then we would get renewed for another season. Right. So it was like the would, million, you guys needed a million hits or yeah, something, yeah, like yeah, that, something like right? that. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. So, um, so they get, they allowed us to be live on MTV for 24 hours straight, which is a real daunting thing. So we basically got a bunch of friends of ours together and wrote a bunch of comedy sketches and bits, booked a bunch of bands that we liked, yeah. Mastodon, Ted Leo. Ted Leo, like just a ton of cool people. Um, and then, and then we just like took over the channel and it was so fun. There were so many mistakes, like, like so many things went wrong, but we just embraced it and kept rolling with it. There was a live audience there. They were going nuts. We would go out on the street and do bits and I don't think anyone watched it. Like, I think the ratings, there was some really bleak statistic they told us that um, we got a pretty good kick out of. It was like, oh, the ratings uh, on the 24-hour marathon were worse than the day after 9-11 or something oh like that. It was like, it was like no one was watching because a lot of people didn't know us. You know, I was certainly, you know, in, in our, I'm out of their demo, but uh, but the people that found the show... Um, you know, like yourself, like that's the cool thing about comedy is like when you find something that you think is funny, it connects with you on like a personal level and yeah. you're like, oh, th this is mine. Like yeah. this is mine. I own this. It's just like with records or, you know, that's yes. old, old terminology, but like with music, when you find a band that you like, you're like, oh, I fucking own that. Yeah. And I think that that was actually, it, there was a really interesting parallel happening guess that's sort of the end of it but it was like in new york too at that time with the yeah yeahs and the strokes and like these bands that were really cool that i think a group like a generation of people really felt connected to and the comedy felt like it was hand in hand with that maybe not necessarily I but just the fact that ted was there was like yeah. i was like what the hell like well it, it, it's interesting man because um i think there are a lot of musicians that want to be in comedy and yeah. then of course there are a lot of comedians that want to be in. you know the, the ultimate yeah. job is to be in a band yes. right like so yes. that's the ultimate job and then, you know, a close second might be being in comedy. Like that's, it's a, it's a fun job. You know, you laugh and goof around with your friends. You don't, uh, you know, it's not anything like being in a band where you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, destroying hotel rooms and, you know, hanging out with groupies or anything. Like, <laughs> Unless you're Richard Pryor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but so there's a, there, there's, I think a lot of sort of cross pollination there. And, um, we were kind of lucky at the very beginning for human giant, we would go and do these music festivals. We would go to, um, uh, to Bumbershoot up mm -hmm. in Seattle, and we would go to um, what's one in Tennessee? Uh, the, oh, uh, Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo, yeah. and uh, so they would set up these live, you know, comedy areas, and we would do shows down there and sketches and show videos and stuff like that. So um, we got to meet a lot of these d different people and cool bands and, and hang out with them. And um, yeah, it's you know, it's, it was a fun time for sure. And uh, what's and I, the when did you ever actually watch all of it? I mean, obviously, I lived through it, yeah. so I. Because there's like clips of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can. I, I, you know what? Um, 
there was, we, we've had a weird thing. Everyone, um, at least once a day, someone on Twitter asks about the DVD for Human Giant Season 2. We, mm-hmm. we were able to put out the first DVD, and then there was some sort of funky thing where they didn't want to spend the money to distribute <laughs> the Season 2 DVD. And I can't remember. It was some sort of bullshit accounting thing. Like they had lost money on the show, and so they had written it off. And so then if we had went and sold a DVD and it had done well, then they couldn't write it off or something. Bullshit. Okay. Anyway, so there's never been a... DVD out there of, of, of season, of season two. two. I think the marathon might be on a DVD of season one, but I'm not positive. It might, oh, just be, might just be clips. I could be wrong about that. I wonder. So, I, so Human Giant, it's like, I guess that's sort of one of those funny things where you just think of all these shows now that are just available at your fingertips. Yeah. But and then Human there's Giant still like these not, yeah. weird things that are on the margins that are just kind of like, yeah, just out well, of. Well, I think what will happen is we, we've made a couple of runs at them before where we've said like, look, it's 10 years later. Can't we just put this out? Yeah. You know, and then every now and then, you know, we're all friends and, and I think Aziz is mostly in New York. Uh, but but Jason lives out here and Sheer and, and I hang out a lot. So we're always like. You know, let's just take another run at it, and and um, every now and then we're like, let's just we have all the sketches, like let's just put it out, right? Like, let's just us put it out. You could just up, like yeah. you could just upload yeah. it. Yeah. And then what worse. are they going to do? They're going to come to my door and like <laughs> take away my wife and child, right? No, I think you guys might ask out last MTV MTV at this point. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I would. The reason I was asking if you had watched it is that when there's um, when any anything like that that goes down in kind of like the annals of like that was this amazing thing, but like what was the worst part about it? Like, do you remember like I have to pee so bad? Well, I'm embarrassed. Uh, I'm sure that if I watched it now, I would be embarrassed. Um, And I remember specifically um, being very embarrassed at the very end of it. Because I don't know if you've ever stayed up for 24 hours yeah, before. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it gets weird. It, yeah, it gets pretty weird. And, um, and you know, obviously I didn't wake up and start doing the show. So, so there had already been a day and then we started. You know, like 32 to yeah, 40 so hours. Yeah, so it was a long time. And something <laughs> happens to your brain. And um, I remember, and this is embarrassing, but I remember at the end of it, we were sort of like wrapping it up. Hey, thanks a lot for watching, blah, blah, blah. And I remember getting emotional. Like I remember getting like kind of <laughs> choked up and being like, um, I just want to say, you know, and like someone had already wrapped it up. Like I think Sheer and Aziz have been like, thank you very much. Good night. And then for some reason, started I started crying. going, and I also want to say that um, it means a lot to me, you know, so that's embarrassing. Did um, you guys already know that you would get a season two when you were doing I that? Think we did. Okay. I think we did. So it wasn't it was like a, you were like, this no, might be it was the a last bit, time. No, no, no. It was a bit of a, of a programming stunt. Um, but a super ballsy move. And uh, in the Museum of Television and Radio, uh, I would like to have a little bookmark for us. That's good. Yeah, yeah, you should. Not only is it just like a cool uh, time capsule of... of of that time in New York and that time in comedy, but like just the people who are in it, it's well, kind that was, of wild that yeah. that's like a, like it's, it's an uncanny thing where you're just like every single person on this yeah. has gone on to do like amazing shit since then. Yeah. If you went back and, and looked at it and I don't remember now who I was on here, but we, we were just calling all of our friends. Yeah. It was a lot of friends from UCB. And then we called in some favors from, from people that, um, you know, we're, we're more famous and you know, we, we are not, I, I don't think of myself as a famous person. And, uh, um, at the time Aziz, I don't think was that well known, you know, but we, so we were calling like, like John Krasinski came on and we were like, Oh my God, John Krasinski and like Will Arnett. And we're like, Oh my God, Will Arnett. Yeah. And, uh, um, Michael Sarah's Michael Sarah. That was yeah. a big one. Yeah. And so, you know, we were, we were kind of, um, getting some, some, some big names we thought, you know, but, but, but all of our friends at, at that time, we were all kind of at the same level, you know? Yeah. 
Kroll and uh, Brett Gelman and John Daly and, and uh, you know, a lot of guys. But, but now people have just gone on to do really cool uh, stuff and sort of um, assert their own voices, you know, and, and have, have just, you know, and it's fun to so many people from our world at that time because we were all sort of struggling, like fucking really struggling in New York to do comedy and make a living. So it's cool that like, oh, that group of people has all like done well and survived, you know? Um, But, um, but yeah, man, it it, it is something that I would be, I think embarrassed to watch the whole thing, Yeah, but it would probably bring back some pretty cool, very hazy memories. Like I remember Riggle, Rob Riggle got like crazy drunk. He was playing like a, uh, uh, like a really shitty security guard for us. Yeah. Like, and so, cause we knew like it's right in Riggle's wheelhouse. He's super hilarious dude and such a good friend of ours and loves to do like aggressive dumb guys. So we were like, Oh, we'll make him the security guard that has to frisk people. And, um, but you know, like as the night went on, like he just kept drinking, kept drinking. <laughs> it was like, I think at one point he was like frisking uh, some kid and it got like a little rough or something. You know, or he, yeah. he yelled at him and people yeah. were like, whoa, like, take it easy, man. There was a lot of like, we're like pretending to have a gun stuff. Yeah, like, there yeah, was, yeah. Like, and then, First of all, why is he smiling? Yeah, Cliff Carver is smiling. Yeah. This, this is a real gun that is built to look like a hand. <laughs> and it fits over your hand? It's a handgun. Don't oh, kill okay. me. We got you? away a lot of times if you not not on the live show but in our sketches if we couldn't think of a way to end a sketch we would just kill each other yeah. you know there's a lot of like uh, a lot of like you know me killing those guys with guns or yeah. you know shooting exploding them or you know eating somebody or you know um the the one of my favorite things about human giant which i think kind of other other sketch groups have sort of done this and since then but this was a big thing for me was uh they did really feel like short films too. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways. And they weren't just like, oh yeah, we're we're just like making this up as we go along on the on the stage. It was like they actually felt like these really cool little shorts that you were kind of piecing together. And uh it's kind of what I I really like about the new YouTube series that yeah. you're doing is uh, do you want to see a dead body? Which is like not only do you just not know what you're gonna get every time you watch one of these episodes, and it's it's a show that's coming on November 15th on YouTube uh red, but I was kind of curious whether that you like to mix those two thick parts of your brain, like the filmmaking side of it and the straight comedy side or sp- yeah. sp- pure comedy yeah. side. Well, for sure. And, um, and that's just kind of where I come from, I think. And so like, so the show I'm doing now, do you want to see a dead body is, you know, the, uh, a hilarious show, but it's really dumb. You know, it's a really dumb idea. I shot these bits a long time ago for funny or die where I took the ideas that, um, I'm me and I take a famous person out on a, an adventure to go find this dead body that I know about. Right. And so way back, you know, a few years ago, we shot one with like Ben Stiller and we shot one with like Deepak Chopra. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got him. And, um, and then some other friends of ours. And then, um, so then we were like, Oh yeah. Remember that? That was a funny idea. We should just make that a TV show. And you know, it didn't seem like something that we could necessarily make. Like you can't make that into an hour show, but we could certainly make it a half hour, certainly make them like 15 minutes. So, yeah. so we decided to make them all around like 15, 20 minutes. And, um, but it's just a really dumb, silly idea. And that kind of, it, it kind of came out of the, um, I don't know if you ever had this when you're like hanging out with your friends, it's just kind of a lull in the conversation. And I used to just throw that out to be weird. You know, if, if, if no one was talking, I would just be like, uh, do you want to see a dead body? You know, just to be fucking weird. Yeah. And people are like, what? And people are like, what'd you say? And you, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. You know? And then I kept doing that for like a couple of years. And then, uh, my friend Owen Burke, uh, who works at funny or die was like, you know, you should, you should shoot that. Like, that's really funny. Hey Ben. Hey, hey it's me, Rob. Rob. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? 
I'm good. How are you doing? Who are you talking to? Numbskull assistant, Reggie. Oh, Reggie's great. I'll call you back. Why are you in this part of town? I was trying to go to the Laker game, and uh, oh, you know you're not close. Do you know where it is? Because I, I, I hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you want to see a dead body? That's where it all came from, and. Uh, so, yeah, so now it's evolved into this thing where, as you said, they're, they're basically short films. They're all totally different. Um, all, the, all the guests are different. It's you all- play different variations on you. <laughs> kind of, yeah. You in do, a, though. I mean, it's kind of the most, the, the, the funnest part is like the, the one you do with Cordry is different than the one you do with Justin Long. Like you kind of have like a different vibe in those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and some of that is because um, in some of them, just in the writing of them, you know, um, you, you don't want to be the one you, uh, I, it's hard to explain, but like, sometimes you just have to be the straight man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, um, so if I'm it, just in the writing of them, sometimes it's easier for me to, to make Cordry funny than to make like, I can, I, I know how to write jokes for Cordry. Sometimes it's hard to write jokes for myself is what, yeah. it, is what it boils down to. It's, it's a really weird thing where I can write jokes for you but it's hard for me to sometimes to write jokes for myself. It's just a weird thing. So in a weird way, it kind of helps the show because like- Do you mean I, specifically write jokes or do you mean even when it comes to like improving stuff? Um, more like improving stuff. Like uh, I, can come, I can come up with a, a funny situation and come up with funny words for you to say. Sometimes it's hard for me to come Interesting. up with- Interesting. Yeah, with a, it, it's a weird handicap that I have. But um, so- um, so in some of the shorts, you can tell like, oh, I'm more like the straight person and they're the crazy one that yeah. takes over the whole episode, you know? And then another one's like, oh, I drive it more and, uh, and they're kind of the passenger, you know? Right. But, um, but yeah, so, so, so the show is basically just these sort of short films where, um, it's sort of like that movie Stand By Me, if Stand By Me was funny <laughs> and, uh, shout out to Jerry O'Connell, but, uh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, no one ever asks, whoa, 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 like where the fuck, how do you know about this body? Right. It's just always, it's always just assumed that in this world, um, celebrities are, have this morbid curiosity yeah. and they will drop what they're doing and they will come along, uh, to go see this dead body, no matter what happens to them, you know, however long it takes, however much it fucks up their day or whatever. So, you know, we were really lucky and got a bunch of really cool people like, uh, Terry Crews and Adam Scott mm-hmm. and, um, Randall Park and John Cho and Cordry and Shear, you know, just like all of our friends, uh, Judy Greer, Michaela Watson, um, Lil Rel. You shoot him around LA? We shot him all out in LA and we, we, we shot there's so many great places to hide a dead body here. I find out. <laughs> um, yeah, we shot them all here in LA, and um, you know, hopefully, we can do more of them, and maybe we'll come to your town, yeah. listener. Maybe we'll come to Austin, Texas, or wherever. Is this Stand by Me connection a just naked attempt to cash in on the Stephen King spike in popularity these days? Well, wow, good question. Um, this was done way before we knew about the movie It and his, <laughs> and his current success. But uh, but I, I do. I will say I went to see It with my wife recently, and I think that. Either I love his stuff, mm-hmm. Stephen King stuff, or I we just love the same stuff because there was some stuff in it that I was like, "Oh no, that's in Dead Body." <laughs> we do the same thing. Like, uh, uh, well, first of all, I love little kids on bikes yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, because I used to do that a lot. I don't yeah. know if you did that, but like, you know, I'd get up with my friends and we'd go back to the creek where there was like a dirt path, and we just ride our bikes to the Seven yeah. Eleven, and then you know, so that's like a source of cool, fun adventure and nostalgia for me. So I love all that shit. 
Um, it's tied I, up in the ET thing. Yes, for sure. Like, Maybe yeah. if I just ride this fast enough, I'll <laughs> sail past off. the fucking moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so I'm a sucker for like, I'm a sucker for like awkward teenage male uh, bonding yeah. stuff. Like I love all that stuff. And there was some stuff in it where they're like, they get in a rock fight with these kids and yeah. start throwing rocks. That we do that in Dead Body. Me and Matt Walsh uh, get into a rock fight with this guy. Have you ever been in a rock fight? <laughs> we No, we still get in these fights where... Um, we had a, a big like walnut tree in our, in our yard, uh-huh. so we would like throw walnuts at cars at night <laughs> that would drive by. <laughs> We're not good kids, but yeah, I just cold. love all that sort of mischief and kids like like teenage boys fucking around, yeah. get, getting into adventures way over their heads. Like I, I love that kind of. You stuff. like Stranger Things? Uh, I do. I love it. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of similar stuff. It's funny. We when we were shooting Dead Body. We got a call from um, some agent out here that said that uh, the kid from Stranger Things, I think I haven't met him. I think his name is Finn Wolf. Yeah, he's the one in it. Which is a, yeah. He's one of the kids in it. Yeah. yeah. Which is the best name ever. Finn Wolfhound. (laughs) But uh, so we got a call, I guess from his manager or somebody. And they were like, hey, he's a big comedy fan. And he heard about the show and he wants to come do the show. And we were like, oh, yes. Yeah. Like this kid is already the king of kids on bikes and finding dead bodies. And finding dead bodies. Yeah. So he would be a great fit. So we started writing one for him and then something happened and he got like a bigger movie. It would be amazing if that kid was the one person who was like, I don't give a shit about dead bodies. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, yeah. I see him all the time in my day job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what? maybe in season two, we might start because we did a thing in the season where you don't ever recognize the the, the the dead body is not really the the uh, we don't dwell on that that much. You know, we don't like, uh, you know, that's the journey is really the main thing. Yeah. And the adventure and all the kind of the fucked up stuff that happens to us and stuff. And then most people, when we, when we get to the dead body, we, we write it in a way where like something, there is some sort of change. Like someone has some, <laughs> sort, of, yeah. Yeah, some sort of revelation. But, um, but we never did a thing. I always wanted to do a thing where we flip one over and it's someone that we know, you know, like yeah. I wanted to flip it over and have it be, you know, f- like Finn Wolfhound would have been a, <laughs> a good. great dead body. Although a little morbid, I guess. To, to hear a, you talk about the, even just like the idea of having this be an outgrowth from a, a kind of like funny joke you would play in lulls of conversation and just even the way you describe it it sounds like the and correct me if i'm wrong but the the process from idea to execution is not particularly it's like pretty quick right or it's at least like pretty immediate like you can get what's in your head you can go out and film something and then find a place to put it yeah i think that's kind of where we are right now in the tv world which is a really fun place to be i think you know and thankfully the the youtube red people you know it's a new thing youtube's been around everybody knows that brand and i think their hook is like you know with youtube red you i think it's like 10 bucks a month or something but you don't get commercials and now they're they're going to start doing these half hour shows yeah. and there's like you get a bunch of music and anyway I'm not trying to plug it, but I'm plugging it. Um, But uh, they were, you know, at the beginning, like Netflix and Amazon, the only thing they have to offer to get people, to get creators to come there and do shows is like, look, you can do whatever you want, you know? So that's sort of the, that's sort of the, 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 the place that YouTube Red is right now where they're like, we want cool people to come do shows. You can do whatever you want. No notes. We did not get notes like yeah. we were because this show is crazy i mean yeah, this, show, that, yeah, this is a really crazy show yeah. we're going to find a dead body and that's a really fucked up idea yeah and i acknowledge that <laughs> and it's it's a really you know a really dark premise um fortunately it's all there's no violence or anything we're like we're not killing anyone we're just it's just a treasure hunt you know um but yeah they just let us do whatever we want and um we um we we i wrote this with 
you know, the, the people that run on the show are friends of mine. They're guys that I improvise with at UCB Theater. Mm -hmm. And so they all know kind of, we all laugh at the same shit, you know? So we have a, a, a shorthand with each other. And um, so, yeah, so we were able to crank these out and then, and then shoot them pretty fast. And then luckily, all of the comedy superstars that are in it, they're all really funny people that made it, you know, 50% funnier, you know, because yeah. a lot of times you're shooting stuff and you're like, oh, I think this is gonna be funny. And they're like, what if I do this? And you're like, oh, fuck you. That's way better. You know? Yeah. 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 Does it take, how long does each episode take to shoot usually? Um, well, we had, we were on a pretty tight shooting schedule. We shot the whole season in about a month, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. So we only had like about two to three days per episode. And we shot it this past summer and we were mostly out in the valley. So it's like, it was, I don't know if you remember, but it was like a hundred degrees. Yeah. So you'll notice in the show, like I, uh, you wear you know, shorts a lot. I wear, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wear cargo shorts. If you're a fan of cargo <laughs> shorts, you're going to love this show. I want to see some cargo shorts. Yeah. We'll have more from Rob Hubel in just a second, but now a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Meteor Shower. This fall, Amy Schumer and Keegan-Michael Key will make their Broadway debuts in Meteor Shower, a new comedy written by Steve Martin and directed by four-time Tony winner Jerry Zaks. They star alongside Tony winner Laura Benanti and Emmy nominee Alan Tudyk in the story of two couples who meet up to watch, you guessed it, a meteor shower. But as the night unfolds, things get hotter than the fiery space rocks tearing through the sky. Want to know more? How about you book tickets to see Meteor Shower? The show Variety calls a cosmic comedy from the master of the American absurd. Meteor Shower is on Broadway for only 12 weeks. Previews begin November 1st and availability is limited. Get your tickets now at meteoronbroadway.com slash watch. That's M-E-T-E-O-R onbroadway.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Guys, Casper Mattresses, let me tell you something about this, this product, man. So a little personal anecdote. We have like a, you know, we had perfectly fine mattress at our house. Uh, we were just sleeping on it. I wouldn't, I won't, I won't name the price, but it cost us a, a pretty penny, my wife and I. But I got to tell you, man, Casper Mattress at a fraction of the price has got exponentially more comfort it's so such a great great mattress it has just the right sink just the right bounce casper mattresses they're obsessively engineered and they are sold at a shockingly fair price the supportive memory foams they create an award-winning sleep surface and here's the thing the problem with mattresses is like you go in and you try them out and you're like oh well i guess i'm just dedicating the next five to ten years of my life to sleeping on this so let me just definitely spend 15 minutes trying to decide if it's comfortable and of course it's going to change over the next few weeks but the thing about casper mattress is you get 100 nights risk-free in your own home and if you don't love it they pick it up and they refund you everything i don't really understand there's no catches there's no coded language here that's the deal Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. And frankly, I spend more than a third of my life on mine. Free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars. It is quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. It gets five stars from me, Casper Natchez. Does this like sort of new reality in terms of making stuff, putting it in lots of different places and just kind of like hoping people will find it? Uh, is that exciting as a performer or do you ever kind of like, I always wondered with it, with like being an actor and being out here or even being a creative mind behind your own stuff, 
Like, do you need the reliable mile markers to be like, and now I need to be in a movie like this, or now I need to be the lead of a sitcom or yeah. whatever. Does that kind of, like, does the Wild West element of it, is it exciting or is it sometimes a little daunting as you're like, what, what am I? Yeah, well, wow, that is a multi-layered question and a great <laughs> question. We should be smoking weed. That question. <laughs> but um, I will say that I don't think that... Um, I, that's not how I look at my career anymore. You know, I used to think that if you, if I did this and then I did this and mm-hmm. then I could step up to this, then I would get this, you right. know, I think that. Did oh, you have a, and then I will get this as like. Well, yeah, certainly people that I looked up to that I was like, oh, I want to do, you know, I, I would love to have like Brian Cranston's career, yeah. you know, or yeah, yeah. someone like that, you know, but I think that, um, I think that, that it's all changing because of this is my theory and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that it's all changing because of movies. I think that they're making, um, fewer movies now because movies have to now make money overseas. Mm -hmm. So, so if a movie has to make money in China and India and, um, and all these other places that, that doesn't leave a lot of room for comedy movies because comedies don't travel really well, Yeah, you know? So what ends up happening is they make like fast and furious eight and you know, I would love to be in one of those movies, by the way, yeah. if you're listening to producers <laughs> of those movies. Uh, but you know, so there aren't a lot of huge international comedy movies, you know? Right. So that coupled with the fact that, um, the, the writers of movies, uh, have all gone to television. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we're in the situation that we're in where TV is amazing right now. There's so many fucking TV shows that are great that you and I don't have time to watch them. Like I have good friends who, <laughs> when I, I just have to tell them like, Hey man, I can't I'm wait not, to catch I, up with your show. Yeah. I tell them uh, now I'm at the point where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to watch it. Right. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, don't worry. I, I have never seen, they'll tell me like, I have never seen transparent. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, <laughs> you know? but like, there's just so many great TV shows. Um, do you just send them then like a, a like a highlight reel of just you from Transparent? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It would give them such it's a weird a, idea of what Transparent was about. Just a clip reel, just the, the lens highlights, all of my <laughs> lines in Transparent. That's a great idea for a Christmas gift. <laughs> just a sizzle reel. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I think that um, because movies have changed a lot, there's there's kind of less focus on movies now, and I think um, it sort of swung back to television where. Um, you know, there's so much good writing in television. And now with all of these digital spaces, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, YouTube, Red, plug, 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 um, they, um, th- there are, there's so much work yeah. to be had. So as far as, uh, th- this is a long answer and I'm, I'm sorry, but as far as like how I perceive myself or whatever, I am, a. uh, uh, believer in like make good shit. Right. You know, that's what I, I just, that's my, that's my thing is like, try to make what I can make to be funny. Like I know what I can do and I know like my wheelhouse generally, you know, I mean, for me in the past few years, I've been really lucky with transparent to do something totally different, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm also really lucky at this point to be able to do something as crazy as, do you want to see a dead body? which is very much like a sketch comedy show or like you said, a bunch of short films. So that's a very crazy comedy, like, um, you know, bizarro comedy show. And then I can go and do something like Transparent, which is like really, um, you know, a deep, yeah. <laughs> like some really good it's writing. Like 70s and, cinema or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and it really is, is saying something and, and changing, uh, you know, the conversation in America. But um, 
So I'm lucky to be able to swing back and forth between things like that. But that's just kind of where we are right now. Like, I feel like there's enough platforms. And if you, like, like I said, I just feel like if you just make good shit, people will find it. I, I have no control over it. I have yeah. no control over um, whether or not people are going to see, do you want to see a dead body? It doesn't I, even I, sound like, I, like you talked about Cranston. It doesn't, it's not even like they didn't think Breaking Bad was going to be Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, well, I mean, like, I think they had some ideas about it, but that's why, like, when you watch the first season of Breaking Bad, if you go back, it's kind of like a black comedy. Yeah, but and you're it's right. sort of weird. And in, and then, like, as I think when Kristen Ritter's character kind of becomes a bigger, it becomes this more of like a noir, like descent into darkness crime epic. But you're right. You're right. I bet if we looked at the the um, life cycle of AMC, that because that was one of the first big shows for them, right? Like, you know, remember AMC just used to show old movies, yeah. And then, it, and, and then, then they, they got... did, and then they did uh, Mad Men, and people were like, "Oh shit, what yeah. is this? Oh my god!" And then they did Breaking Bad, and then it was like, "Oh, we're off to the races." So now AMC is like this awesome thing, um, but. Yeah, so I think that you just try to make good shit and people will find it. I mean, same thing with like Amazon. Like, I don't think they were kind of floundering, you know, for a while with some of their shows. And then I'm not saying that Jill Soloway like single handedly uh, put that company on the map, but like I think Transparent was one of the first things. I could be wrong, but I think one of the first things to really like connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many people actually watch it, but the people that watch it fucking love it. Yeah. So I think that's what what's important to those places is. You know, Netflix, they don't release their numbers. I don't know if that Amazon does. I think what's important is that the people that watch it are like way into it. And so I don't know. That's just kind of my thing is like just try to make stuff that it's not for everybody. Like this show, Do You Want to See a Dead Body, is not for everybody. There, right. are, there are a lot of people that will be offended by that show. Uh, Five, seven years ago when you have an idea like the one you're – like like this idea – do you just try to be like, so should this be like, should we try to sell this to comedy channel as a satire of a cop? Like, do you have to like think of it in a different way than you think of it now? Um, you know, you, you do kind of go through that cause we did, um, we took it around a little bit to, uh, pitch it around, you know, to, to different places and everyone kind of, um, um, you know, all these different channels and, uh, places, they all want to kind of put their spin on it, uh -huh. you know? And, um, I think what appealed to me about YouTube Red was they just got it right away. Like we, um, they, they had seen the old videos that we shot for Funny or Die and they just kind of knew exactly what they were going to get. And they were excited about, um, getting comedy people to come to YouTube that wouldn't normally, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, I'm not a YouTube fucking, so, you know, I've never done anything on YouTube. So they were excited about getting like outside people that, uh, to come and do something on YouTube, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, so, so they, they didn't alter the, uh, the tone of it at all, you right. know, whereas I think other places might've been like, well, I don't know. That seems a little crazy. What yeah. if it was something like this? Yeah. What if, okay. Every now and then he finds a dead body, but what if he's like a reporter? Yeah. What if they're set in the eighties and yeah, they're, yeah. they're neighbors with the Goldbergs? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what, with that movies theory that you have, which I really, really like, do you, I mean, you've been in Baywatch, you've been in the house, uh, like you, you, you've pretty consistently stayed in features, but have you ever been a part of the, I don't know, like necessarily the creative process, the pitching process of a feature idea and felt that pressure and felt that like, look, you're not really like, unless you can bring us like neighbors on a platter, 
like we're not really in the business of buying comedies that are kind of like quirky and yeah. Well, you mean have I like pitched movies? That... Yeah, or just like in the, in being part of like a group of people who are trying to get a movie made, and it's like, yeah, man, like we'd love to do this as a feature, but like we have to, you know, The Rock has to be in it. Yeah. You know? Well, that definitely happens. You know, like I think, um, um, I me personally, I haven't pitched a movie now in a few years. I used to do that more. And, um, but then, as I said, it just kind of became a different business, mm -hmm. I think, where, where these studios, um, you know, a comedy has to be for everybody. Like it has to be like, you know, moms, dads, young people, old people, black people, white people, Asian people, Mexican people, Indian people, Chinese mm -hmm. people, like literally everyone. And that's really hard to do. And, um, I don't know that that's my strength. So, um, but I have friends that have, you know, uh, tried to get, smaller movies off the ground. And, and that was a trick a while ago. It's like, well, if you can get, you know, so-and-so blank, you know, whoever fill in the blank movie star to come on and they'll be the lead of it. And then you guys kind of hang out with that person. Then right. maybe we'll do it. You right. Know? Yeah. But, but now I think that the movies that, um, like friends of ours are making, uh, you know, like Kumail made a great movie yeah. this year and like Michael Showalter, uh, Michael, he directed that. He directed yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. And then Michael, Michael's making a lot of cool movies and, uh, David Wayne makes cool movies and stuff for Wet Hot American Summer for Netflix. And so, but now like the friends of ours that are, that are directing, Ken Marina, these are all people from the state, by the way. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Uh, all the guys yeah. in the state are directing, <laughs> but, um. Latin lover though. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that now, um, you can get. Um, you can make cheap movies now, which yeah. is cool with just our crew. You know, we could get our group of friends and we don't necessarily need to have the rock, although we would love to get the rock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's great. And he, actually he is super cool. Like the coolest dude. Uh, please don't beat me up. No, he seems uh, like a pretty sincerely, he's like, when we've written dude, about him in the, the past on the site, like he'll retweet and be like, yes, yeah, brother. I mean, he, yeah, he really is like, I don't know how he does it. Like, but cause I would be exhausted, but he's like. He's just one of those guys where like he is making a conscious effort to like be super positive yeah. and, like, <laughs> and like connect with people and like really, you know, he knows that he means a lot to his fans yeah. and, uh, and he, and, and he is just from my little stuff on Baywatch with him, he's the fucking hardest working guy in the room. And so if he's working that hard, everybody else has to work that hard, yeah. you know? I don't know. Why am I plugging The Rock? The Rock's doing fine. <laughs> we really hope but, it would start GoFundMe for The Rock's next, yeah. next movie. But, um, but yeah, so your question, can so I think now you can make smaller movies. You can make a $2 million movie, let's say, or right. a $1 million movie, and then um, people will hopefully find it. If it's good, people will find it. It will go, uh, someone will buy it and distribute it. Amazon will buy it at Sundance and put it out there. You know, like that happens. Netflix will buy it and put it up. Um, so... You know, I don't know. I don't know. If you make little movies nowadays, though, I don't know that it's ever going to – I don't know the last little movie that's uh, – other than Get Out. Like, yeah. Like, I think you can still do that in the horror space. Yes. Um, yeah, like the Blumhouse style. For like sure. Five million yeah. budget. Yep. Yeah. And, and then, everything is profit yep. pretty much. And that's like – there's something about horror that you can do that – I think it's been a little while since a comedy. Like has, the Hangover, I guess maybe. Well, that was a studio and, movie like, though. I, yeah, I'm just thinking yeah, about. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm thinking about like a little movie, you know, like 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 Get Out, where that was like whatever, like five million dollars something. Like, I don't know what it cost. Did Neighbors cost dollars. a lot of money to make? 
Mm, I don't know. I mean, that's. I think that was New Line. I'm sure that was like, you know, I bet that was like, we could Google it. I bet that was I like I mean, friggin' Zac 20. Efron was in it. You know what I mean? Like, it yeah. Can't, yeah. But I bet, I bet that's like a $20, 30000000 million yeah. dollar movie. So that's a significant thing. That's more than like... We could just you and I couldn't walk into a, a thing and meet with some some guy and, and get that kind of money, yeah. you know, like so I don't know. It's been a little while since a small comedy movie, I think, is like blown up. So maybe we're poised for that. Maybe it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of wondering if like there will ever ever be a return to like I mean, you you and I probably grew up with like trading places. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like big movie stars in mm-hmm. a big movie star comedy like that. Yeah, um, I, I hope so. I definitely hope so. Got fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the, yeah, it's. It's weird, man. I mean, the other thing that's like disappeared. Sorry that this has turned into no, like, really what's interested. going on in the movie business. <laughs> but, you should listen to that's yeah. what this podcast winds up being every time. But um, but it is fascinating that like all of those um, middle budget movies, like even like those drama movies mm-hmm. or like thriller movies, you know, uh, you know, like just someone got murdered and ooh, what happened? Yeah, like know. a John Grisham movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all that's gone away. Like everything now has to be a giant thing that can make money around the world, you know, like, um, you know, all those, all of those like eighties comedies that, that we could name, uh, and like, you know, those, they don't make those movies anymore, Yeah, you know, because there's just not, why do that? If you're, if you're a company, if you're a big corporation, why spend like whatever, $30 million and get and make $50 million when you can make, when you can, when you can spend a hundred million dollars and make seven hundred million, right? You know exactly, I mean? the Hunger Games yeah, yeah, profit yeah. margin. So that's the. You were talking about not being able to keep up with like even your friends' work, but I was curious. Just like it's, it, I just always like to ask, like, what have you been watching recently? Like, what have you? What's been kind of like your favorite thing you've seen this year? Wow, that's a great question. Um, well, we had a baby this year. My wife had a baby. I take credit for it. <laughs> And um, so, so that was a big uh, event, obviously. So I, I was in like kind of a, a hole as far as entertainment for a long time. Some people like when the baby happens, it's like that's when they they get their most viewing done. Yeah, up well, all night. we're just kind of getting back into it. We, we our baby. Um, this is a different podcast, but our baby was very premature. Oh, our okay. baby came like three months early, so it was like as big as this water bottle, wow. let's say. And uh, she's fine now. She's a year old now, and she's super chubby and totally healthy. So if you have a premature baby, call me on the phone, and I will talk <laughs> you through it. I really will. I, I my heart goes out to all those people. But anyway, so we were. Long story short, we were. Um, over at Cedars like every day for, you know, for four months basically. And then when we brought her home, you know, she was on oxygen for a long time. So we were stressed out for watching her. Yeah. 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 We we were watching the baby. Yeah. Um, so we were in kind of a, kind of a hole, an entertainment hole. And so now she's all good and healthy and like starting to sleep through the night. And so now we're like, you know, catching up on stuff. Um, and so I'm just like now trying to go through our DVR and like catch up on things. I watch weird stuff though. Like, I don't know that I watch, um, I'm trying to think we've, we've just started going to movies. We just, we saw it. Uh, I love that. Um, I've seen a bunch of movies. I saw, um, that movie, uh, is it called good time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really really cool. cool. Um, I've seen, uh, but, but, what, oh, fuck. I, what other movies are right now? I've seen like a, a handful of movies that I know. We just saw the trip, you know, Steve Coogan. Yeah. Saw, like, yeah. The third installment of that. Yeah. We love those movies. Um, but, uh, but TV, like serialized TV, I got to catch up on. Yeah. I have, it's I like, it, much of it. there's something, it's not even about like hours in the day or the amount of shows you're watching. Sometimes it can just kind of like psychologically become daunting to be like, 
I know even I want to watch this, but I know I have like seven hours of it yes. just to get back to zero. Yeah. And you kind of almost feel like you're paying off a credit card when you're watching. I a know. Show. I think I think that's why, again, these are this podcast should be called Rob Hubel's Dumb Theories About <laughs> Television. But um, I think that's why Netflix has taken over the stand up special. Uh-huh. Like I, I, to my understanding, like they're kicking ass with that right now. And, I and, can tell you I watch 200 percent more stand up now than I did six years and ago. And I think part of that might be because. When you turn on Netflix and you're like, oh, what do I, do I want to watch a, a 12 part, you know, one hour thing? That's a big commitment. Or I can watch 10 minutes of this stand up that I really yeah. like, you know. So I think they figured that out and got ahead of that. And so um, congratulations, Netflix. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, it's it's almost I would love to read the like what the Netflix main menu page does to our brains. We're just like, man, this is so easy. It's almost like going back to having just CBS, NBC, yeah. ABC. Yeah. It's like, I don't really want to choose. Yeah. And I can just hit Narcos and then yeah. like watch Narcos. How is Narcos? People, I actually really like Narcos. Amy Landecker is always trying to talk me into it and I want to watch it. Uh, I think I'm the same sort of thing where I feel like, oh, now it's- You can start at three if you want. Oh, really? Because three, they go on to- the, it's the not Pablo story. So okay. the first two years it's Pablo Escobar and yeah. then the third one is a different cartel. Okay. So you can either do one and oh, two wow. or you can just start at three. Okay. And sort of like uh, The Wire. I can skip the season with the docs. Yeah, the except wire. unlike The yeah. Wire, there's like a voiceover every 20 seconds to be like, this guy is oh. this guy. Okay, and cool. in case you didn't know, this oh, is how yeah. you launder money. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah that sounds um, like a good show. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. Was, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, I've been just been watching you for like the last 10 years. It's really cool to finally meet Dude, you. Dude, I'm so glad to talk to you. I, I probably Apologize if I uh, theorize too much. No, on, it's the, this, uh, is the, this is this place for it. Do you want to see a dead body? Is uh, on YouTube Red in November fifteenth. Yeah, and you can see Rob Hubel everywhere. Transparent season four, the house, all sorts of stuff. Baywatch, go dial it up. Help Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> please help pay him off rock. his trailer. Please, <laughs> yeah. please help him. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Rob Hubel for stopping by. You can see. Do you want to see a dead body uh, on eleven fifteen, November fifteenth, on YouTube Red? Uh, in the meantime, you can watch them on Transparent Season 4 on Amazon. And if you have the time, I strongly recommend doing a YouTube rabbit hole deep dive on uh, Human Giant. Going back, trying to check out that 24-hour marathon they did on MTV 10 years ago. Now we're going to get into our interview with proto-martyrs Joe Casey. And their new album, Relatives in Descent, is available now. Uh, Joe, so one of the issues that I wanted to discuss with you is that you've got this new album. Proto Martyr has a new album called Relatives in Descent coming out. We're recording this a little bit earlier in September. It's going to be out at the end of the month. And my major problem with the record is that I keep listening to the first song over and over again. It's actually become a like block to getting my, you know, like the trajectory of the album. This is my favorite kind of opening song where it's just like, it's like watching a team open a game with like an 85 yard drive. Uh, sure. What sure. was the uh, what was the thinking behind like screw it? Let's just do a statement of intent, six minute opening, five minute opening track. Uh, I guess because we're so smart. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, um, I think it was because with each album we kind of opened in a different way, um, and this one we just wanted to make sure that people were on board right at the beginning. Like, okay, this is what the rest of the album is going to sound like, and kind of you know in, in smaller forms. But here's here's the big one right off the bat. Um, Sometimes we do like a short one at the beginning or like a more moody one. This one we just wanted to come in and and yeah, yeah, go go for the big uh, big bang right off the bat. Is a private understanding when you guys write a song that's like that that has these distinct almost vignettes within it? Is that uh, a mm-hmm. collection of you know pieces of other things that you guys are working on that get stitched together, or is that is it something that gets put? Is it kind of born as it is? 
That one, uh, Greg, the guitar player, had kind of a di- in a demo form, with like a drum machine, and so he had that all mapped out in his head, and that was like the first thing that he kind of brought to practice. Like, oh, I got this thing, and but as far as the lyrics go, I really was kind of throwing a lot of lyrics into that one, <clears throat> and then kind of removing them and putting them in other songs. So it's kind of a good place to store lyrics. Yeah. And so I had like the different like stories and vignettes kind of in there. And then it was just a matter of like, okay, I got to cut some of this out and maybe put it in another song. Like I had like the talking horse from a later song in that song for a while and then took it out and put it someplace else. Is that stuff dictated for you when you're doing your lyrics and you're, you're taking things in and out? Is that dictated by things like rhythm or you know how many bars you may have to play with? Or is it, does it have more to do with emotional content and finding stuff that fits together within the song? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I, I think I, I I start way too wordy. I always kind of jam too many words in, and I because I don't really I, I don't do much singing. So sometimes it takes me a while to figure out like, okay, it's way too many words. Uh, you have to do this song every night. You don't want to get up there on stage and and tie yourself out. So why don't you cut some words out? And yeah, and then it becomes just trying to fit into the, the framework of the song and not uh, you know not ruin it too much with the words. Yeah, I'm, I was kind of curious because I so I have this 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 is let me bounce this theory off of you. I find okay. that uh, especially around our office, you know, with younger the younger people I work with, I'm turning forty soon, so it's like you know I I'll ask people and like it does seem like younger music listeners have a little bit less of an like they're, they're, it's more rare for them to be like I really like the lyrics by this artist or this band or whoever. Like it tends to be way more feel. Uh, and and Sonics, and I kind of have a feeling that that might have something to do with they are listening to their music largely uh, through streaming ser- services, so they kind of are skipping around a lot. They're not listening to the same songs over and over and over again to repeat, so that they basically memorize the lyrics. Whereas like a band like you, you guys, and especially with your lyrics, like that's the thing that I'm most immediately drawn to. Um, does that make sense to you? Do you do you think that the the idea of being obsessed with a band's lyrics are is actually something that's fading a little bit. Do you find that like when you talk to people, they're like, "Oh man, like you know, I don't, I don't always listen to lyrics, but I listen to yours." Uh, yeah, I mean, young people are stupid. We, we both know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, but they, I liked lyrics the, uh, when I was young and stupid. Yeah, well, I, I think that people will like lyrics. I think one of the things I'm finding out is that maybe people put too much into lyrics that I mean I think young people now are a lot more vibey they're into vibes and, and moods and things like that um, but yeah these uh, lyrics a lot of times I think like I realize that I don't really listen to many lyrics or I, I you know I mishear things all the time so I don't know what it is I I, <clears throat> I think it's just because it was my, my job is to come up with the lyrics so I'm like I should probably put some work into it and try to make it something interesting because you know if not then I'm failing at my job right I mean, I remember when yeah. I was like, t- like in high school and college, and I remember reading like some Stephen Malcolmus interview f- for pa- from Pavement, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, like I basically just like scribble this out like five seconds before I have to do the vocals," and I was like devastated because I had essentially built my identity <laughs> around these lyrics, right. decoding, and, decoding the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when you were growing up, were you a lyrics guy? Were you was it Were you drawn to to anybody in particular that you thought was like, "Oh, God, is this what you can do with a song?" Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the, another thing that uh, about your theory is. Yeah, like back in the day, you had to buy an album, and you were stuck with that album. Yeah. And so you would listen to it. You know, like you'd spend your money and be like, okay, I got 
shit, I got to listen to this. So you would, you'd be forced to focus more on it. Um, but for me, like young, young guy, when I was a young kid, I really liked the Shane McGowan from the Pogues. I oh, thought yeah. that his lyrics were really like, made me think of, you know, boy, I can't wait to be a drunk when I get, <laughs> get older. You know? Uh, but yeah, later on, maybe uh, some different things like, uh, you know, I, I really like the falls lyrics, some of them. And, but I think that's the thing is that some of them can be made up right on the spot and they're just as good as the ones that you sweat over and you look for the perfect metaphor for something, you know, you know, sometimes just making noises is uh, what a song calls for. Yeah. You know, screaming or, you know, repeating a word over and over again is, is just as good. Yeah. I mean, I was never, but, yeah. I, I don't know why I would, I would take that any the wrong way when, when, you know, if somebody told you like, oh, they made up this guitar part before they walked in, you'd think, well, what an act of genius. You're like a great improviser yeah. then, you know? Yeah, like, oh, it's so talented. Yeah. <laughs> For you guys, yeah. I'm curious with uh, the way that you write music as a group. Do is there is there a conversation at all about uh, hey, like this is going to be the kind of tone that we're going for, or is there a pretty is there a church and state division of like there's music and then you are just coming and and you're putting like the coat of paint on it at the end or are you asking for certain changes or you know hey I want a dynamic shift here or let's like let's do this here or do that there like how much orchestration is going on on your end um i know nothing about music as far as like how notes work and chords and things like that so i try to keep my opinions to a minimum um with the music because they they can handle that business but i will say i like the line i use a lot i'll say i I can sing over that Mm -hmm. or i think i can sing over that and that just means that okay i can i think i can do it and sometimes like they'll come up with something like that's great that sounds awesome but there's no way i can do anything with this and you know or i'll say hey repeat that part again that part sounds great so but that's about it how uh uh opinionated are you in the studio like in terms of whether it's a mix question or uh hey play that again but do it this way like do you what 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 kind of role do you have when it comes to to being in the studio uh well just between you and me i, I would love to have total control <laughs> but uh in, in, actual, in actuality i really you know they they know like our drummer Alex knows specifically, you know, down to like you know, symbol, like what symbol sound he wants. Yeah. So I just let them do that. You know, they they got that. You know, I uh, and then therefore they they leave me alone with the lyrics. They don't ask me like why why do you have it this or why is it that. Occasionally they'll tell me don't make fun of this person. You know, change the lyric. <laughs> but that's about it. The last so if question. They give me freedom. I give. Them. That's interesting. I, I, it's a good division of labor. It's like a nice, nice split of responsibilities. The one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go is, I think, I mean, this record is amazing. People, I mean, I think it's, I've always been a really big fan of, of the band, but Relatives is just, it's such a huge, huge album. Like, it just sounds like so, it's like the perfect distillation of what I love about you guys. I was wondering whether or not, like, you know, because like, you, you see these, like, there's a lot of adjectives people use for you guys' music, like glowering or gloomy or whatever. Is there a, right. a song on the album that actually, unbeknownst to other people, is actually about, like, Matthew Stafford or something like that? Or it's like, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, not, not like a whole song, but I, I definitely will throw in, like, in, in in jokes that only like every album and I um, I always make fun of our friend uh, Matt Bilkowski who's a, a drummer in a band in Detroit and it's just like a thing that I do just to needle him <laughs> is like sneak in a, an insult on him and sometimes it's very obscure and you know so I'm I'm into one song I make fun of him because for the longest time he'd say he'd help me fix my roof and then he just kept on putting it off and putting it off so we recorded the record and then unfortunately. 
since then he was nice enough to fix my roof. Oh, so no. I, had to change the, I change it live, but in the uh, song I, I just say, hey, you know, Matt Z, you still haven't fixed my roof. That's good. You know? It's great so, that it can be yeah. a living document of this guy living up to his word for you. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I'll honor him in song now instead of making fun of him. So, okay, man. Well, yeah. I know that you are uh, you guys are just about to go play a show, so thank you so much for calling in. Joe Casey, the band's oh, Proto Martyr, the album is Relatives in Descent. You guys should definitely, definitely check it out. Thanks so much for calling in, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, stay strong, Branskis. <laughs>